0: Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favorite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears captivate or horrify you, and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. All her life, Joan placed herself into the hands of men who failed her. Joan does the unthinkable for a woman in 1960, leaving her small town of Gainesfield. As an accomplished musician, Joan served her country in the first ever women's air force band, San Antonio, Texas. She unwittingly becomes part of a brainwashing experiment. After her Air Force service, returning to society is particularly hard for Joan, so much so that she has spent a good deal of her life in a mental institution. As a patient in a VA hospital, Joan is found murdered. Small-town secrets, whispers behind closed doors, stolen records, serve to solve the mystery of... What the hell happened to Joan? This book is a work of fiction, but very well could have happened. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella, The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives, Researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas, HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting and things are not as they appear.
1: And now, enjoy this free Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 166. Again, welcome to the world of Myth Bits. I honestly don't really have any housekeeping this week because our dear Dave, <laughs> dear Dave, um, he has fallen a little ill, and I really don't want to bother him uh, in asking for the housekeeping. But uh, I do want to remind everybody that. Uh, MythMart.com does indeed carry the wonderful splendor of all the dark myth publications, including the most recent edition of Peggy Gerber's Stumbling in Crazy Town. Uh, And I had Peggy and Walter G. Esselman on the podcast last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I highly recommend it. Peggy and Walter are phenomenal people, phenomenal writers, and we get to learn a little bit more about the Open Contract Challenge, Uh, everything it took to get to where they are today, having won the Open Contract Challenge. And uh, I very much look forward to getting to meet Peggy in person this summer because she is so sweet and so just so genuinely delightful. It's hard to talk to Peggy and not just smile, you know. So, definitely recommend getting on MythMart.com and getting a copy of her book. Because if you read the magazine, you know her poetry and her fiction is just magnificent. So, jump on it, please. Um, so, yeah. It's been... it's It's been one of those weeks, you know, where time passes in a very peculiar way uh like on one hand it feels like it just flew by on the other hand it feels like it was like a month's worth of time that makes sense um just a just a long week I am I'm having trouble you know like uh I talk about the I talked about it I I talk about it all the time honestly uh The show The Magicians that I think I bring up every freaking episode Uh, and at this point I feel like (laughs) I am the number one uh advertiser for the series. Anyway I'm working on a piece for one of the characters and if you've seen the show you know the character Penny. Well Penny is ultimately two people and the entire series, that the, the series of pieces that I've done, I've done six so far of the main characters. And when I first started doing them a couple years ago, I was like, oh, this is going to be, I'm not going to put that much effort into them. You know, this is more going to be experimental. That is not how it turned out. <laughs> um, the first one I did was the main, the main, main character, Quentin, and his took me about two, two weeks, give or take. I mean, obviously not including, you know, the time that I wasn't actively working on him. Uh, most of my pieces take an average of anywhere from like 40 to a hundred (laughs) hours. It really just depends on the piece. Um, these ones take a little bit more time just because they require a lot of thought. And, The reason I talk about The Magician so, so much is simply because the characters are absolutely magnificent. The way they have been written, they set an example for the best way to write deep, complex characters. You know what I mean? And again, I've said it again, I'll say it again a million more times, uh, the reason people flock to this series is because of the emotional depth of these characters. And in some way or another, it's very easy to see yourself reflected in all of these characters just because they are more than just something. They are so much deeper and so much more um, multifaceted in what they bring. You know, they're, they're not all black and white. It's It's very you know, gray area at times with, oh, is is what they're doing, you know, good? Is it neutral? Is it bad? And so anyway, um, the character Penny, he is a brilliant character, uh, probably hindsight, like one of my favorites in terms of story progression. Uh, and like I said, ultimately, he t- turns into... Two characters, because we eventually walk into a multiverse kind of territory—not even multiverse, a multiple timeline uh, territory—where you have the original character who his path leads one direction, and then you have another version of that character who basically abandons his current timeline to go into the timeline we've been following as an audience. The, the I don't want to say the main timeline, but the one that, like I said, we've been following. So there are two iterations of this character. Both feature heavily throughout this series, and it's really interesting. So anyway, <laughs> I've been stuck. I have true, truly, 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 like this is probably one of the worst bouts of how do I go about this? ever. I like I said when I first started this, this series I I kind of had a clear idea of what I wanted to do. Again, it kind of evolved into being something a little bit bigger, a little bit more time consuming, um a little bit more experimental. <laughs> and I'd say for the most part uh, the one character Margo, my favorite Margo is my favorite character played by the amazing Summer Bishil. Um when I started her, that one took, I think that was like three, th- there were three stages of working on her just because, again, she's my favorite character and getting her just right was very difficult. But in terms of concept, you know, the these pieces... Again, they're fan art, you know, so it's like, but it's fan art for something that I love that a lot of people really, really, really love and feel very close relationship with. So a lot of all of these pieces have something regarding the character and their ultimate development um, and who they are. And so with Penny and the two Pennies, holy crap, it has been. It has been nightmarish trying to conceptualize how... And I have been working on this concept for the specific character, these two characters, since the beginning. He was, like, meant to happen after I did the the first character. But my brain, I don't know what it is. It's so hard. And it's partly because... I <laughs> creatively, there are I love symmetry. I mean, everybody loves symmetry. Symmetry, we're just naturally attracted to it. You can't help it. So I love drawing and symmetry because a, it's challenging uh, to make sure everything is perfect. B, it just it, I love the way it looks. I feel like it it fits beautifully everywhere. You know, so obviously I really want to incorporate symmetry. It's just, you know, trying to do two characters on the same pe- paper, on the same surface, <laughs> you know, who are obviously the same, but also very different. I th- <sighs> that is where a lot of my mental energy has been going this week, honestly, because I have done probably like, oh, at this point since I started, you know, a couple years ago, probably 15 different uh, rough drafts, just, you know, quick uh, mock-ups of how I want it, and it's so hard, and people are waiting for this piece. I have amazing, amazing uh, people, you know, customers and, and people who have supported my art and stuff who, you know, have been waiting for pennies so there's that like added pressure that's just been <laughs> tiresome not their anticipation or anything just me putting the pressure on myself because it's like I don't want to mess it up I don't want to do it poorly I don't want to do something that I don't like I don't want to do it in a way that I'm not happy with it because for the most part all of these pieces I'm very happy with how they came out I love them Uh, so Penny is, is very important, I feel, to this entire, entire series. So on that note, watch The Magician's please. so that way when I sit here and tell you about my struggles of this collection, uh, (laughs) you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, hopefully, hopefully there are folks who, who do know exactly what I'm talking about and understand, you know, how to, how to perfectly capture these characters in a way that, uh, is very honest to their, their portrayals. So again, that's, that's pretty much been where like a lot of my mental energy has been going that, um, you know, that's been a big priority. A couple side projects. I'm a little pooped. (laughs) I've pooped myself out. Um, like I tend to do at the end of every week. And the reason I always bring it up is because when I record this, it's always the end of the week. So you guys get to hear it, you know, by the time I'm, I'm extinguished. But, um, yeah, there, there are some, some points that I kind of want to talk about today. Uh, in interest, points of interest, I guess we could call it. And jumping into the theory because I, one of my favorite conversations, and also, I mean, it's not totally, totally different than, you know, what I was just talking about, The Magicians. Uh, one of the most important catalysts and most interesting factors to talk about is character development. I think, you know, we, t- I, I talk about it all the time on this show because I feel like, you know, character-driven stories, that's where we're at right now. You know, that's where we have always been to an extent, but character-driven stories, there's something about them that I feel like we we are craving very, very intensely right now. Um, I don't know if it's I I don't know. I I mean I have my theories. Is it, you know, because of COVID? Is it did it, you know, did I just not notice it before COVID? Where it's like we felt that isolation. And I think ultimately. We're just looking for something to bury ourselves inside of that we can either escape with or, uh, relate to in terms of of who a character is. You know, uh, I don't necessarily watch Ozark because of the characters, uh, well, some of them, uh, because honestly, there's only a couple that I can tolerate at this point. Uh, story-wise, story-wise, story-wise. Um, but it's the escapism of it. Okay, this is all very boring stuff. The point is, character development is something that uh, I think is just a lot of fun to explore and talk about. And, uh, you know, the past, the past couple weeks, uh, it really went on... You know, the representation factors, uh, making sure that we are, that that any creative person is doing their best diligence to, A, not overtake any voices of people who have otherwise not had the opportunity to have their voice uh, amplified. Uh, and, you know, just the the trajectory of like trauma and stuff like that. I know that's that's been kind of covered in the past couple weeks. But here's something that I've I've you know kind of taken up in the the past again week. Um my nephew and I we like to play video games. Usually he plays, I watch, sometimes I'll play, he'll watch. Um it's just it's it's like our thing, you know. And he told me about this one type of game, uh, because we were just looking for something new to play, and we stumbled upon one of them, but we are like, oh, what, what is this? This seems very weird, just because, um, it was kind of out of the blue, you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't, one of these things did not look like the other kind of games, so, Funnily enough, like these these kind of games are not new. It's just we're seeing them in a new way and interacting with them in a new way. So they're full motion video (FMV), um, and it's it's they're a type of game that features a, a pre-recorded uh, film, so to speak, and you, the player, interact with it. I remember, oh, my gosh, what was that one back in the early 90s? Oh, it was, uh, it was scary. It was like, a, oh, my gosh, it was a graveyard fella. Like, he was like, not the gravedigger. <laughs> he wasn't a wrestler. Uh, but it was like you. you had a board game that went along with this VHS tape, and he, like, harassed you. About like your moves and stuff. It was anyway. Uh, I will think much harder on that. Uh, but this this is um, like I said. This this kind of game is not new. Uh, they've existed since like the '80s. Uh, but it's they're live action. They're live action games with actual you know actors uh, being filmed, being recorded with a script and everything. And they're really cool, you know, because that's one thing, you know, like on Netflix, they've started introduce kind of, they've introduced a couple of the the interactive films. They did it with uh, Black Mirror, uh, the film, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting everything, I can't think of the name. Um, but then they also did it with an episode, or like the film for for Kimmy Schmidt. They've done a couple, couple ones where it's like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. They're very silly, very fun. Um... Except for the Black Mirror one. That one's stressful. But <laughs> they're... Just these really cool, like, interactive... Interactive uh, films, games, and everything. So FMV... It's, it's pretty much a very similar... Uh, concept. You are given a story. And it, again, is like a choose-your-own-adventure. So... The one that we have been playing is uh, the Infectious Madness of Doctor Decker, and it's uh, it came out in two thousand and seventeen, I believe, and it's it's a British game, and uh, it centers around uh, the narrator, you not narrator, but the the main character you, the player. Um, you're just known as Doctor, and you are a replacement therapist-slash-psychiatrist for Dr. Decker, who was recently murdered. Uh, And your job is not only to take over for Dr. Decker and what he was was doing with his patients, that sounds really weird, Uh, but to also solve his murder and discover the ailments of his patients. And the patients are all, um, on the surface it looks like they're experiencing, like, uh, some kind of delusion or something like that. Um, so you've got a character who, uh, his, his days have stopped progressing. He's just stuck on a day, and so he believes that it is a form of time travel. Another patient believes, um, they have resurrected their husband from the dead. Um but again, it's you know very tricky. Another character thinks that they lure people to their deaths uh to a sea monster who I'm fairly certain is meant to be Cthulhu. Um another character uh believes that they have an extra they have been given an extra hour in their day where everything freezes. Surrounding them. um, Except for them. And they can do all sorts of things. Including teleportation. Uh, And then. There's a a whole like grip. Of interesting characters. Um, And. Oh and then you have like. Your assistant Jaya. Who is. uh, Very informative. um, And kind of keeps you up to date. On certain things. So anyway. So your whole goal is to weed through questions and figure out, like I said, either who killed Dr. Decker or uh, you can basically be consumed by these people's uh, quote-unquote delusions. Because throughout the game, you're given a, a, a red light, green light system. Right, So the red light means you are basically going to get nowhere. Yellow means you are kind of balancing the line of um, how you're dealing with them. Are you uh, starting to believe their quote-unquote delusions? Uh, Green light means you are fully enthralled (laughs) with uh, their... Uh, abilities is what they are referred to and it's a very very interesting and captivating story so you proceed to ask questions you discover more um and the the kicker is uh you use a keyboard you you can just type it out with the controller it's on the ps4 um, I think you can also play it, like, on, on PC and everything else. But uh, we hooked up the keyboard to the PS4, and I type ridiculously fast. Uh, last time I checked, it was 90 words per minute, uh, which probably is actually not that much talking to a bunch of writers. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, so the nephew, he he orchestrates the controller, and I type out questions. And uh, basically, it's it's fairly intuitive. Uh, you know, you ask, uh, uh, keywords and it'll usually, you know, bring up a new answer. Sometimes you just get, I mean, honestly, like most, not most, but a good portion of the game is just, sorry, I don't know about that. And you're like, oh my God. But a lot of the times you actually just, uh, get like a full answer that, you know, can take you into the direction of solving Dr. Dr. Decker's murder or, again, uh, getting absorbed into their situations. (laughs) And it's so interesting and it's really fun. There are a ton of endings, which is something that I love when games do because, like, on one hand, it it sucks because it's very easy to get bored <laughs> but like um uh dark picture dark pictures uh, dark picture studios i can't think the game the game creators uh dark pictures they have the games man of Med- man of medan uh, little hope um house of ashes ugh crap seems like there's one more Um, and it's, it's very similar, except they are completely CGI games, um, tons and tons of fun, really, really interesting stories, like, they are peak, and the games honestly only last, I think most of them on average are about 10 hours-ish, but you have the replayability factor because every decision you make leads to different outcomes, so... Uh, say you accidentally kill character A because you made a decision to leave them behind because they were, you know, attacked by something and you can't help them, then that is going to affect the outcome of the end. So, again, kind of a choose your own adventure. Really fun. And I love the games like that because, A, when you pay money for something, at least me, for what games cost and uh, for what they cost, you want. You want what you're paying for, you know what I mean? You want um, a decent amount of gameplay. You you want your time's worth, right? Like, I, I remember being really mad because we pre-ordered Devil May Cry 5, and while it's actually a really good game, it's really short, and I pre-ordered it, and I'm so mad because I got it for my nephew for Christmas or his birthday or something like that, and we played it and we finished it in, like, two days, and he was like, that was, you know, $70, sorry. Like it was, you know what I mean? Anyway. So replayability, you know, there's there's a big factor. So when you get these, these games where they have, you know, the various endings and stuff like that, it's it's a lot of fun because you do, you get a lot of replayability. And like these games, the FMV games, they're not even that expensive. Um, which is interesting to me because the one that we were looking at, oh, I can't even think of what it's called. It was like Don't tell lies or something like that. Um, They're, you know, they're really not that expensive. And I just mean like the production quality is, you know, fairly decent. Um, So, anyway, with this game, you have many different outcomes of how you handle these characters and everything and, and how it can go. And it's a lot of fun because. It's just, it's it's very interesting. It's super, super interesting to see. You know, it's, that's one thing about video games that <sighs> tend to, when you're going through the story-driven character, or story-driven games, video games, that's where I think people get confused because it is obviously the characters who who drive the stories but like uh you know the last of us part 2 major spoiler alert i can't skirt around it i have to get into it um if you have played it you know um or if you haven't played it but you don't really care about spoilers um in the first game you follow along A young girl named Ellie and uh, a a rugged, soon-to-be father-like figure for Ellie uh, named Joel. And they partner up because Joel's going to take her to a safe place because she is essentially immune to uh, this uh, zombie-like virus. It's, It's actually like spores and mushrooms and fungus and all that. But she's actually immune. And so he's getting her to a safe place. To where, you know, she's no longer at risk of being captured and killed or anything like that. Um, no, I got that wrong. He's taking her there so they can use her to figure out a vaccine for, yeah, for the entire virus. There we go. It's been a minute since we played, okay? Um <laughs> Which they're also doing an HBO adaptation with Pedro Pascal, and I'm very excited. Anyway, so come the second series, the first, the first game, you obviously you're very attached to Ellie and Joel. You learn very important uh, aspects of their lives. You learn very, very deep things, you know. And it's it's, you know, story wise, it's very beautiful, and their relationship is very precious. You know, like Joel will do anything to save Ellie. Ellie really cares about Joel. You know, Joel lost his daughter at the very beginning of the game, the very beginning of the virus and everything. And so obviously he kind of projects onto Ellie. Ellie really doesn't have anybody. And it's, it's very good and sweet. The (laughs) second game, which is a phenomenal follow-up um absolutely probably one of the best especially story driven um but what had occurred is at the end of the first game when joel had delivered ellie to the quote-unquote good guys to find a cure for, you know, the, the oh, I can't, it's like cordyceps or something like that. Um, He kind of went haywire because he didn't want to give her up. They were going to kill her so they could ultimately find a way, you know, find out why, find out why she's immune and everything. From a scientific perspective, in the midst of an apocalypse, it's not nonsensical, you know? Well, Joel is like, no, you can't you can't kill Ellie. And so he um proceeds to murder everybody <laughs> who's there. Um and it's pretty pretty horrible. Like he kills I mean everybody in that building. Um just to save Ellie, who is again a child. So follow up game you know we're we're several years in the future, everything is somewhat peaceful um ellie Ellie and Joel have kind of like a they're still close, but there's a little bit of a tense relationship um, because ultimately she learned like that he killed so many people to save her instead of saving you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who are living in this apocalyptic world. So she's a little mad about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, ultimately, we we come across this other character, and she is vicious. Or at least that's what we're led to believe, because it's it's within, like, the first, like, hour of gameplay honestly it's really fast she and her group capture Joel and Ellie and she kills Joel in a very brutal fashion and people were livid that Joel was killed off you know and I get it but then the rest of the game you actually proceed and you wind up playing in her point of view. And you learn why she had done it. It had been her dad who Joel had killed in the first game when Joel went, you know, ape bleep on the hospital. <laughs> and because uh, that's where it all took place. But where when he killed all the people trying to create a cure and everything, the, this character's dad was one of the people. So, of course, she's angry, you know, and I love that kind of narrative. Everybody knows it. I talk about it all the time is the kind of story where had you started from their point of view, you'd be on their side. And they really did a phenomenal job, unfortunately for the game, because the game is so phenomenal. Um, but it really upset certain people, I guess. And so they took it all out in the forms of transphobia uh, and. <laughs> You know, I mean, the the actor, the voice actor behind the main um, quote-unquote antagonist, she got bullied off of Twitter. You know, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, it's just ridiculous. And so that's what I mean where I think people forget about these these fictional pieces that are, you know, so story-driven to the point where you can't, except that it is a story. You know, and I get it. Like we all get very attached to characters. It's, it's it's just it's a natural part of being a fan of things. Um, but it was story-wise so so phenomenal. It was gr- it was such a great story. You know what I mean like It sucks that we lost somebody who, you know, we as an audience had grown so close to. But from a story point of view, it was so good. And to this day, like, I still think about that story. And I'm like, that was probably one of the most perfect um, story progressions I've ever witnessed. But again, people, people almost feel ownership over characters and stories. And I again, I I get it. Like I get it. But it just it sucks when you let that kind of prevent yourself from understanding the story because the writers, I mean, honestly, they deserve so much credit. Like that can't have been an easy decision, you know, to have killed off the main character, a beloved character in such a brutal way and then try to make the audience empathize with his killer. And they did it. I love her. She's a great character. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like... You know, you just... You you, you want the best for, for these characters. You know, you don't want them to be... In a horrible state of mind anymore. Especially during the apocalypse. So, anyway... On the similar jumping off point... Um, it's kind of funny because, um, there, you know, if, if you watch Catfish, there was an episode this past week, was it Catfish U.S. or U.K.? I can't even remember now. U.S. And there was a girl who had been cat fit. She She was talking to a guy and everything was going very well. She had essentially fallen in love with this guy. Uh, via text message and everything, and and you know it happens, um, and eventually she, you know he th- the this guy told her like okay I'm gonna come visit you now, I'm packing up I'm on my way, and then she received another text message a little while later saying oh he'd been shot from his um, ex girlfriend or something, oh he'd been shot he's in the hospital now. So, of course, obviously, very red flag of catfish. Um, and, you know, then then they, you know, he he lived for a minute and they communicated some more. And then he went in for surgery. All of this is in, you know, air quotations, by the way. He went in for surgery and then she got a text message from his uncle saying, oh, he didn't make it through the surgery he died so and then like it it got to the extent of like making like memorials and stuff for this guy like it was the it was normal for what you'd see for a young young person who died um on social media and so she she was mourning a fake person and so when they you know, discovered who it was. They discovered who the catfish was. It was just very interesting because the uh, the gentleman who had conceptualized the whole thing, he said that he had done it basically as an experiment to write a book for his kid. He was doing character assessments, if you will, using a real person based on her reactions, how a real person would have reacted to the sudden and abrupt violent death of somebody she had fallen in love with, a love triangle, like, very weird methodology, if you ask me. Um, And, uh, you know, he, uh, I don't know if he was able to use it in in his story, but that really got me thinking, you know, it's like, at what lengths, do we go to to understand people you know and it's it's very tricky because it's it almost feels like for me personally I feel like there's yes we understand we push to understand and we push to comprehend lived experiences and everything like that but there comes a point where you can't anticipate reactions. You can't anticipate or expect how people are going to act or react. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that's where people kind of sometimes maybe get a little, a little confused with character development. Oh, well, that seems totally out of character for them. I mean, I'm sure everybody has done something that is out of character because you are experiencing something new, you know, and you're like, I don't I don't know how I would ever react to that, you know? And then it happens, and you're like, I guess now I know, and I don't ever want to act like that again. Can't help it. And it happens all the time. You know, we we visit it throughout the media. We visit it throughout, you know, sensationalized stories, look at, you know, uh, Lorena Bobbitt, look at... Um, Scott Peterson, you know, oh, or uh, Madeline McCann, her parents, you know, oh, well, they're acting this way. That's not how parents who just lost their child act. That's not how a husband who just and I'm not proclaiming these people are either innocent or guilty. I'm just saying, you know, when we when we judge these people like they're fictional people based on their reactions, it becomes so strange. Because you can't, you simply cannot predict how people, A, you simply do not know, (laughs) you know, B, they're not fictional. They're really human beings. And as much as we wish we could narrate this, and this goes back to what I was talking about too a couple weeks ago where, you know, uh, celebrity musician A did something horrible and despicable to somebody uh, that seriously, physically harmed them and mentally harmed them. But, you know, people forget that this is a real person and instead act as if they have conceptualized this person and would sit there and, and defend, you know, these horrible acts and say, oh, well, you know, this person would never do that. Why do you know that? (laughs) You know, so it's it's very interesting how, you know, we we do these these predictive steps. And really, there is no point to this ultimate conversation except to I think it's it's interesting to unbalance the scales of expectation. You know what I mean? Like even looking at. Um, I brought up earlier Ozark, you know, the Wendy Bird, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you know, her character development just went, you know, (laughs) she went in a totally peculiar direction. Uh, and, and as I like to say, she, she simply girl bossed too hard. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, I just, I, I love conversations regarding character development, as you guys know by now, um, but I really, really wanted to talk about, like I said, that that Dr. Decker, uh, the infectious madness of Dr. Decker, because it's it's a really interesting game, and honestly, you don't have to be, you know, a gamer or anything, but to me, honestly, if you are a creative of any sort, if you just want to kill some time, honestly, go get the game. I'm not being told to to advertise it or anything it's just it's it's an interesting game it's an interesting story and it's a lot of fun to see how these writers you know gave us a handful of characters with very similar but also very different circumstances and how how everything changes because their reactions shift based on the trajectory of Your narrative, you know, and based on who ultimately, depending on the storyline you're going with, who turns out to be the murderer, who doesn't, you know, and it changes every time. So, anyway, I truly just think it's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, also, like I said, please go watch The Magicians, um, because I'm, I'm, Constantly needing somebody to talk to about it, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I very much thank you for having these these little listening parties with me because um, I think they're fun, and I like I like using my brain, <laughs> expanding it a little from uh, like I said, trying to figure out how I'm going to draw something. So okay. You can find us at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and the Twitter at The World of Myth Bits Podcast and The World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at The World of Myth Bits. Uh, The new issue should be coming out here soon. Um, Everybody send your best energies to David K. Montoya for a swift recovery from any bouts of ickiness. And, um, yeah, that's our show. So thank you very much for joining me, and until next time.